0: Clay's Ark by Octavia Butler, read by Fleabag Anus. Past nine. Within 24 hours, Eli had infected everyone on the mountaintop ranch. He'd also talked the old man, Gabriel Boyd, into giving him a job as a handyman. Boyd was not willing to pay much more than room and board, but room and board was all Eli really wanted. A chance to stay and perhaps save some of these people. He was given a cot in a back room that had been used for storage. He was given his meals with the family and he worked alongside the men of the ranch. He knew nothing about ranching or building houses but he was strong and willing and quick. Also, he knew his Bible. This in particular impressed both the old man and his wife. Few people read the Bible now, except as literature. Religion was about as far out of fashion as it had ever been in the United States. A reaction against the intense religious feeling at the start, at the turn of the century. But Eli had been a boy preacher during that strange, not entirely sane time. He'd been precocious and sincere, had read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and could still talk about it knowledgeably. Also, Eli knew how to be easygoing and personable, a refugee from the city, grateful to be away from the city he knew how to win people over even as he condemned them to illness and possible death he wanted them all to start showing symptoms all at about the same time and he wanted that time to be soon left to themselves infected people feeling their symptoms tended to huddle together in an us against the world attitude if everyone became ill at the same time he'd have less trouble keeping individuals from going to help to going for going to get help he had started what could become an epidemic Now, if he was able to live with himself at all, he had to contain it. He worked hard on the house that was intended for the son named Christian, Chris to everyone but his father. Christian's wife, Gwyn, was going to have a baby and Christian had decided that the house would be finished before the baby arrived. Eli did not know or care whether this was possible, but he liked Christian and Gwyn. He worried about what the disease might do to a pregnant woman and her child. Whatever happened would be his fault. Sometimes guilt and fear rode him nearly into insanity, and only the exhausting hard work of building kept him connected to the world outside himself. He liked these people. They were decent, kind, and in spite of the angry god they worshipped, they were remarkably peaceful and uncorrupted by the cynicism and violence outside. They were good people, yet it was was inevitable that some of them would now die. The daughter Mida was doing her best to add to his burdens by seducing him. She had no subtlety, did not attempt any. I'd like to sleep with you, she told him when she got her courage up. He had known since he met her that she wanted to sleep with someone and would settle for him. He fended her off gently. Girl, he said, what are you trying to do? Get yourself in trouble and get me shot? Your people have been good to me. They wouldn't, she said, if I told them who you are. They think heaven is only for God and his chosen. He became serious. Don't play games with me, Mida. I like your honesty and I like you, but don't threaten me. She grinned. "'You know I wouldn't tell.' "'I know,' he said. "'If I can keep one secret, I can keep two. she touched his face. "'I'm not going to let you alone,' she said. "'Her touch produced an interesting tingle. "'She was coming into her time. "'He had apparently arrived just after her time of fertility the month before. "'That had been a blessing. "'He'd been able to avoid the other two young women, "'but Mida would not let him avoid her. "'Now she had no idea the trouble she was courting. "'She probably imagined a romantic interlude.' She, didn't, she probably did not imagine being thrown on the rocky floor and hurt, inevitably hurt. No, he said, pushing her away. He was still smiling when he turned from her and began hammering in siding nails. She watched for a while and he discovered he enjoyed the attention. He had not believed women outside the crew would want to look at him with his body so changed. Mida was trouble, but he was sorry when she decided to leave. She looked as though she'd lost a little weight, he noticed. As she walked away, her brother Christian came out of the main house and stopped her. They were far, too far from Eli to worry about his hearing him, but he heard every word. That guy be talking to you, Mead? Christian demanded. Eli could not recall having heard Christian refer to him as that guy before. For Christian, this was damn damn friendly. Sure he has, Mead said. I came here to talk to him. Why shouldn't he talk to me? Blast her, honesty, thought Eli. What did he say to him? What did you do this morning, Chris? Look in the mirror and mistake yourself for Dad? She asked. What did he say to you? Eli looked at them and saw, even over the distance, that she smiled sadly. Relax, she told her brother. He said no. He said the family had been good to him and didn't want any trouble. Christian gave an oddly brittle laugh. Anybody who recognises you as trouble has the right idea, he said. If that guy was white, I'd tell you to marry him. Mida watched her brother with visible, growing confusion. Living in the house, Eli had heard enough to know Christian was her favourite brother. They had shared secrets since childhood. Christian knew how tired she was of being an isolated virgin, and she knew how nervous he was about becoming her father. Right now, she knew there was something wrong with him. Did you break down and buy some perfume? he asked. You smell good. Eli put his hammer down and stood up. It was beginning. Mida had bathed, and she smelled of soap, but she was not wearing perfume. She was simply coming into her time. If she and her brothers lived, they would have to learn how to avoid each other at these times. Now, however, Eli might have to help them. He stood still, waiting to see whether Christian could control himself. He realised Mida might not be as in control as she should be either. He would not let them commit incest. He would, le- he would not let them commit incest. They would be losing enough of their humanity shortly. Eli jumped down from the floor of the house and started towards them. At that moment, Christian reached up and touched Mita's face with one trembling hand. Then, with a strange, whining cry, he folded slowly to the ground, out cold. Present 10. When Eli and Kira were gone, Blake opened his bag and turned it on again. He punched in his identity code, and then the words, Time to sleep, and the number three. He hit the deliver button. Moments later, he had a capsule that would put him to sleep for three hours and then let him awake fully alert. Next, he ordered a much less precise dosage for Mida. This he ordered in injectable form, a sleep tab. He placed Mida's dosage under the pillow he intended to use, then turned off the bag and closed it. He stripped to his shorts and got into bed. Remembering Kira, he doubted that he could have slept at all without the capsule. And he had to sleep. If not, Mida would look at him and realize he was up to something. She might even figure out what it was. He did not underestimate her any longer. He thought her heard. He thought he heard her come in before he dozed off. Thought she called his name. He may have muttered something before the drug took full effect. He awakened on time, clear-headed, aware of what he must do. The room was full of moonlight, and Maida lay softly snoring beside him. It amused him that she snored. It seemed utterly right that she should. He was surprised to find himself feeling sorry for her as he eased the sleep tab from beneath his pillow and pressed it to her thin, bare right arm. She repelled him, but he was not responsible for what she had become. There was no pain involved, but at his touch, she jumped, came awake, found him leaning over her. "'What did you do?' she demanded, fully alert. He touched her hair, thinking... would have to hit her again, not wanting to hit her, not wanting to hurt her at all. Perhaps that was what she saw in his expression, if she could see him well enough to read his expression. She smiled uncertainly, turned her face to meet his caressing hand. Then the smile vanished. Oh God, she said. What have you done? She reached for him, but her hands had no strength. She tried to get up and almost slid out of the bed. Finally, the the drug stopped her. She moaned and slipped into unconsciousness. Blake stared at her, feeling irrationally guilty. He straightened her body, placed her in a more comfortable looking position and covered her. She would awaken in three or four hours. He dressed, looked around the room, noticed at once that the bag was gone. He looked through the closet and in the bathroom, searched the bedroom, but the bag was not to be found. Finally, desperately, he forgot the bag and began searching for the key that would let him out of the room, since he already knew where it was not. He began by searching the one place he had ignored, the bed, and Mida herself. He found the key on a chain around her neck. It hung down inside her gown, where he could not have touched it normally without awakening her. Seconds later, he let himself out of the room. Feeling his way carefully, silently, He reached the front door. He wondered just before he let himself out whether these people posted a watch. If they did, he was probably finished. He hoped they had enough confidence in their ability to handle their prisoners, not to bother with guards. He slipped out and closed the door behind him. From where he stood on the porch, he could see no one. Things looked confusingly different in the moonlight. For several seconds he could not find the car. It had been moved. He feared that it had been hidden and he would have to risk stealing another. Then he saw in the distance, near one of the outhouses, the car. Getting it started without his key would be no problem if he had time to disconnect the trap alarm system. The alarm itself was sound and indelible dye sprayed. The alarm itself was sound and indelible dye sprayed over any would-be thief. If the thief persisted, he was sprayed with a nausea gas. The gas was utterly disabling, whether it was breathed or merely came into contact with skin. A car, even a fuel gulper like this one, was a prestige item. The automobile age had peaked and passed. People who drove cars or rode motorcycles now were either professional drivers, the rich, law enforcement people or parasites. The pros, the rich, and the police usually went to even greater, deadlier lengths than Blake had to protect their vehicles. Hugging the shadows, Blake worked his way to upwards towards the car. He had reached it and he used his own special catch to get past the hoodlock when someone spoke to him. You don't have to do that. I have the keys. He turned sharply, found himself facing Kira. Solemnly, she handed him the keys. He stared at them. ''I took them,'' she said. She shrugged. ''Now you won't have to worry about touching me.'' ''You exposed yourself just to get the keys?'' she demanded. ''No,'' she said. She was in the shadow. He could not see her well enough to be certain of her expression, but she sounded odd. He took the keys in her hand and held both for a moment and then hugged her tightly, probably painfully, though she did not complain. Then he held her by the shoulders and spoke what he strongly suspected was nonsense.'' Mina says the disease is transmitted by inoculation, not contact. Don't touch your mouth or scratch your skin until you wash. She did not seem to hear. <clears throat> I hit him, Dad. Good, he said. Get in the car. He had some books, she continued, made of paper, I mean. An old bookend and an old bookend in the shape of an elephant. It was made out of cast iron. Get in, Kerry, he said, interrupting her. But she carried on. I don't want to hurt him. I didn't think I could hit him hard enough to do any real harm. She got in through the door that he had opened. He started to close the door, and instead of and then instead squatted beside her. Kerry, did you hear anything about Rain? Do you know where she is? With Ingram and Lupe, she said. I don't know which house they're in. She did not know. And how many people would he wake up if he tried to find out? One would be enough to recap to him. He had not... Even be bright enough to get himself another knife. Not that the first one had done any good. What he needed was a gun. Daddy, I heard something, Kira said. He froze, listened, heard it himself. Someone moving ca- around carelessly in the house nearest to him. It may have just been someone going to the bathroom, but it frightened him. He rounded the car in a few long steps got in and heedless of noise started the engine. At that moment, someone opened the door of the house from which the noise had come. It was a man, a stranger, who actually managed to catch the car as Blake swung it round towards the rocky trail that led down from the ranch. The stranger tried to tear Blake's door open, as Ingraham had earlier. But with the car moving and his body inadequately braced, he failed to break the lock. He was dragged several yards before Blake had picked up his speed and headed out. As a final gesture, he managed to release his hold with one hand, raise his fist and smash it into the window beside Blake's head. Like the lock, the glass held. It broke. Cracks raying out in different directions from the impact of the blow, but it did not shatter. Its breaking amazed Blake. The glass was special, expected to stop bullets with less damage. Blake realised how powerful these people were. If they caught him, they could literally tear him limb from limb. He drove on, praying that he would see rain, that he would have a chance to pick her up. But he saw only stick people menacing, utterly terrifying in their difference and their intensity. In the moonlight, they seemed other than human. One refused from to move from the car's path, apparently trying to make Blake swerve and hit a house or a huge rock. Blake did not swerve. No experienced city driver would have swerved or slowed. At the last possible instant, the victim leaped, leapt aside and clung to the rock like an insect. Something that moved like a cat, but was too big to be a cat, ran alongside the car briefly and Kira screamed. "'Don't hit him!' she said. "'Don't hurt him!' The car accelerated, leaving the running thing behind. "'What the hell was that?' Blake asked. "'Be careful,' she said. "'Remember the rocks Eli had to dodge around.' He remembered. It was impossible to speed past those boulders. On the other hand, it was very possible that Meda's people in the mountains above could start rock slides that would close the narrow road entirely if he crept along slowly. As though in answer to his thought, he heard a rumbling from above. Praying as he had not since childhood, he drove on, managed to swerve around one boulder just in time to see a rock slide beginning another. He pushed the accelerator to the floor, sped past the slide area as the first rocks came down. Twice the car was hit by rocks big enough to shake it, but Blake managed to stay on the road. He did not slow down until he came to a sharp curve, around which he thought he recalled a rock. There was a rock. Many rocks. Another slide had blocked the road with a steep hill of loose rocks and dirt. Blake had no time to think. The car would climb the slide or it would not. It was a jeep after all, antique or not. The car struggled for traction in the loose dirt and rock, then shuddered heavily as something landed on the roof. The something made an indentation that they could see inside the car. Suddenly, Kira pushed her door open. Blake grabbed for her, not understanding. His hand had just missed her as she leaned out. Then he saw what she had seen, a small bloody face hanging down, upside down from the car top. Rain, he shouted. He leaned across Kira, indifferent for the moment to the way Kira bruised almost that touch. He caught Rain's arms, pulled her down and into the car across Kira, and then slammed the door and locked it as something else began tearing at it. Blake hit the accelerator and the car leapt into the loose dirt and rock. For an instant, the wheels spun uselessly, throwing out sand. Then they found traction and the car lunged up the slide. A rock bounced off the windshield, chipping it slightly. Another hit the top, doing no important damage. Blake reached the crest of the slide, rolled down it and sped down the mountain. Minutes later, they were in open desert. Kira and Rain, still tangled together, both hurting, both silent with terror until they looked around and saw that they had left the mountains and their captivity behind. And then they hugged each other, Rain laughing and Kira crying. Rain's bare arms and her face had been cut and bruised somehow. If she had not been contaminated before, she was now. Blake worried but said nothing. Contamination had probably been inevitable, however. The disease could be studied, understood, stopped, or at least controlled, and it had to be. The disease was only a disease. It was the willing human carrier's intent on spreading it spreading it that made it so deadly. Blake relaxed in his seat and surveyed the damage to the car. Nothing terminal. Nothing that would stop him from reaching civilization and getting medical care. He wondered why Eli's people had not shot him. Or at least shot at him. Bullets would have been more effective than rocks. But then it was like Eli to hold back. He had saved Rain from Ingraham, held off contaminating Kira, probably for as long as he could. He even tried bloodlessly to avoid a fight with Blake, even though he probably could have broken Blake's bones with no effort. "'How did you get free?' Kira was asking Rain. "'Did you have to hurt someone?' "'I was tied up for the night,' Rain said. "'Jacob let, li- let me loose. He didn't like me, "'but he couldn't stand the thought of anyone being tied up. "'Then you two broke away and everyone was too busy chasing you to watch me. "'I almost killed myself running and falling down this goddamn mountain.' "'Jacob,' Blake said. "'Isn't that one of Meda's sons?' "'The girls looked at each other and then at him warily. "'You know about Jacob?' Rain asked Only that Mida has a son by that name He's her son and Eli's There was an odd pause For the second time in 24 hours Rain seemed unwilling to say what was on her mind Have you seen him? She asked again No, Blake said But I, I don't imagine he'd be that normal Not after what that bag told me about Mida He isn't, Rain said What's he like? Blake asked You saw him Kira said softly. He rang alongside the car for a few seconds. That was him. Blake frowned, gave her a quick glance. But that was an animal. It was um disease-induced mutation, Kira said. Every child born to them after they get disease is mutated that way. Jacob is the oldest of eleven. Blake glanced at Kira. She was not looking at him, would not look at him. Look at him. Jacob's beautiful, really, she continued. The way he moves, cat-like, smooth, graceful, very fast. And he's as bright or bright than any other kid his age. He's not human, Blake said flatly. Jesus, what are they breeding back there? The girls looked at each other, shifted uncomfortably, sharing some understanding that excluded him. Now neither would face him. Suddenly he wanted to be excluded. He drove on in silence, suspicion growing in his mind. Concentrated on putting distance between himself and those who would certainly follow, though he d- could not really help wondering whether what followed was really worse than what they carried with him.